0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table.
1: This episode is a part of a long series about how Russian communism impacted American Christianity. It can stand on its own, but when you're done, you may want to start at the beginning of season three. I recently put out a call on social media, and what I needed was some volunteers to play a game of Would You Rather, where you're given two difficult choices and have to pick one.
2: Hi Chris,
3: this is Kat and Ignacio Ladegui doing your questions for you
4: hello hey chris this is troy from revive thoughts and this is joel
3: from revive thoughts John i don't use all it,
4: would you rather questions are tough what do we got here what are the okay. questions
3: all right ignacio would you rather
4: would you rather earn a hundred thousand dollars a year working for the mob
3: or be married to the best looking person in the world you already are Who <laughs> cheats on you see this is what i'm talking about i don't know my my gut reaction is to go with the marriage?
4: Uh, all right, you know what? I'll stay with that woman because I'm pretty sure she can cook.
3: Okay. In the mob, you're, 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 there's always a chance you could get got. There's always a chance you're gonna be at a cafe and someone's gonna come up and and murder you somehow. Yes, It's, a,
4: it's high stress. Well, the mob, you're, you know, you're doing something wrong because you're working with the mob. Sure. Whereas in this situation, your your you know theoretical wife is doing something wrong. You're still innocent. But for me, I actually I'm going with the mob. Um, you get a nice living, hundred thousand dollars a year is nothing small. And it doesn't mean I'm bruising people in an alley. It just I could be a lawyer who's just defending the guys in court and uh you just
3: you haven't watched enough mobster <laughs> movies. It's the lawyers that they they go for. Well I might go for the money instead of the best looking person in the world. That's a hard one. Even if it's me? As long as I don't have to see heads cut off.
4: Second one, would you rather sell something benign, so like something not important, like corn, to a country like Iran
3: or be Vladimir Putin's personal barber. This one's easy. Putin, all the way. Everyone needs haircuts, and you know you can take pride in your work. You, you're, I mean, are you cutting other people's hair? Does he hair? have a lot
4: of hair? I feel like it's an easy job.
3: <laughs> you just put a buzzer on, you know, number three setting, and brat brat. I will shave his beard if I have to. I don't want to be working for Iran. I'd rather be the. I'd rather be the barber too.
4: For me, personal barber sounds like a terrible. You mess up. You one little nick in the wrong direction. You sneeze on the job. You don't have to worry about like, the I mean,
3: like, there's people in need. You know, like, are, are yeah. going to So really, I could be or helping Or is people. it specifically I just know. going to
4: terrorism? I don't know. I'm selling to the country. So I might be a big help. Might be helping feed those poor people while you're over there yucking it up at the here. All right, next question.
3: All right, would you rather go to a church where the pastor is always getting in public Twitter fights
4: or go to a church where the youth leader is spreading gossip?
3: Twitter fights, that'd be funny. Yeah, Twitter fights, Twitter fights. Definitely. I'd be entertained during the week. No, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I I don't like rumors, and I don't mind the fight on Twitter. Gossip never never helped no one. Like that's that's something. Gossip has ruined more churches than than any Twitter fight has, mm.
4: especially because I, I don't
3: want no gossip in my church.
4: Yeah, there we go. Yeah. You know, and the Lord has gossip directly exactly. in the Bible. We got we technically got instructions. It's, you know it's clean cut. No Twitter gossip. is yeah. not in the Bible. What happens on there is free game. That's No, not true.
1: Those questions are so difficult. I mean, would you rather work for the mob or marry a beautiful person who cheats on you? There's no good answer there. Would you work for Iran or Vladimir Putin? Which kind of questionable church leader would you go with? All of these silly questions have something in common. They make us think about who or what we'd be associated with. Yeah, maybe you're only cutting hair, but there is a big difference between bobbing a soccer mom's do and trimming Vladimir Putin, right? If a new regime comes in, they're not killing the guy who cuts the soccer mom's hair, but Putin's barber maybe because they're associated. If the police raid your lawyer's office, it's maybe not a big deal if that lawyer practices family law, but if the lawyer works for the mob, it's a different story. Who and what we associate ourselves with matters. But in Christian circles, we don't always think these things through. Especially when it comes to nations that we try to call our own. Some of us, not all of us, say that the United States is a Christian nation. Doing so means that we get tied to some pretty great things. But also some shady ones. What are the positives of this practice, and what are the negatives, and is the U.S. a Christian nation at all? You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Darren, and this is Truce. You know, I expect that this episode is going to be a little controversial. First of all, know that I care about you, whoever you are. And since discussions about a Christian America can get kind of heated, we need to find a way to keep things calm. So I thought, what's more calm than smooth jazz?
5: Good afternoon, Jazz Cats. This is your lovely lady, Tina Del Rey, coming to you from the home of jazz. I want you all to meet a good friend of mine. Handsome, sophisticated, and single for all my lady listeners. It's Chris Starin, host of the Truce Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me here, Tina. I'd like to send a special dedication to all the listeners here in the Tri-State area. It's an old favorite called, Baby, Let's Talk About the Last Two Episodes.
5: Here it is from the album You've Heard This if you subscribe to the podcast. It's the replays with Baby Let's Talk About the last two episodes.
1: All right, here goes a quick recap. Two episodes ago, we discussed a key argument for the U.S. being a Christian nation, that the founders were men of God. And history demonstrates that the eight founding fathers most responsible for the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution didn't even believe that Jesus was God. Sorry, but as far as those eight are concerned, they believed in a God of their own making, not the God of Christianity. The second argument, the one from the last episode, is that revolution is biblical. But according to scripture, we're called to obey our leaders. Though there are some examples of civil disobedience in the Bible when the laws of man contradict those of God, Full scale revolution just ain't biblical. Quite the opposite. One could argue that the US is not a Christian nation because the revolution itself was ascriptural.
5: Isn't that a beautiful song?
1: It's one of my favorites.
5: We're going to open up the phone lines. It's time for a little segment we like to call Tina Talk. Where you, the listener, can call in with questions, dedications, or just a check-in. I've got Ron from St. Louis on the line.
4: Hi, Tina. Long-time listener, first-time caller.
5: What's keeping you up tonight?
4: My fiancé and I had a fight. She says the U.S. is not a Christian country, but I grew up believing it is one. I can't walk away from my heritage.
5: Baby, I hear you. Lots of people find their identity in patriotism. I'd like to ask you some questions. You love your fiancé, right? Sure do. Maybe we can talk about how things might look from her point of view. Are you willing to do that, Ron? I think so. All right. Is Christianity the official religion of the U.S.? No. Is it illegal to be an atheist, Buddhist, or Muslim? No, ma'am. Do Christians get special treatment under the law?
4: No, but our laws are inspired by the Bible.
5: The biggest sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Is that against the law? No. What about dishonoring your mother and father? No. In the Old Testament, a person could be put to death for that. Jesus says the law is summed up in two things, loving the Lord with everything you've got and loving your neighbor as yourself. Are either of those things required by law?
1: No. Caller, I know it's hard to hear this, but the core eight founders liked religion in that it instilled morals. But church attendance is not required or even advocated in law. The laws of the U.S. don't reflect those of the Bible, except maybe prohibitions on stealing and murder, stuff that's against the law in many other countries.
5: We can go on and on. But I think, Ron, that you might want to go back to your fiancé and make amends. You've got passion. You've got heart. Use that energy to share the gospel with people, not for anger. It's not worth dividing over.
4: I'm going to call her right now.
5: We'll be back with more jazz and more of your calls after these messages.
2: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Welcome back. I've stepped out of the booth for a little while, so we can be candid. Is this a Christian nation? We've demonstrated that, no, based on the laws, the core founders, and the fact that revolution itself is not biblical. We humans are bad at nuance, so the temptation with this information is to swing to the other side and say that the Founding Fathers intended the U.S. to be a secular nation, a nation where religion was completely absent, like out of sight. Some Christians are afraid of this notion. It might be why some of us try to marry Christianity and the United States so that we can be as public as we want to be. We're worried about being put in a box, not being allowed to be who we are in the public square. But that is not what the Founding Fathers intended either. Here again is Dr. Greg Fraser. He's the author of The Religious Beliefs of America's Founders and God Against the Revolution, The Loyalist Clergy's Case Against the American Revolution. He also teaches at the Masters University, He's talking here about the founders.
0: The the secularists want to say they were deists or rank secularists because they want to completely separate religion from public life. And they want, both sides want to say, hey, this is what the founders believed, because you, you always want to have that authority sort of behind what you're arguing. So the secularists claim that the founders wanted to completely separate religion from public life. And that results today in a loss of religious liberty under the false wall of separation notion.
1: This may be hard for my liberal friends out there, but I think it could be good to hear. A lot of Americans think that freedom of expression is positive, And I do too. But issues arise, right? Every year there's a story in December about how a city was not allowed to put up their annual Christmas manger. I mean, you know these news stories like in my small town, the rodeo is no longer allowed to open with prayer because it takes place on city property, even though it's run by a private vendor. I'm purposely picking small examples because they look small, but we Christians feel them. There are little signs that religion is not welcome in the public square. That, according to Greg, is what secularists hope to gain by claiming that the founders were deists the elimination of religion from the public square. Another argument is that without religion in the public sector, we'd lose our moral footing as a society. Remember, the reason the guys like Franklin, Jefferson, Hamilton, and Madison liked Christianity was because it created a sense of morality.
0: Washington warned about that in his farewell address. He said that religion and morality were the indispensable supports of society.
1: Remember the video game SimCity? I used to play it all the time as a kid. Now, pretend that you're building a city. No, a whole nation. You've got roads, highways, water, and sewers. All the things you need for a society. Then people move in. You've got a population boom. They have a national anthem and some laws, but how do you get people to act civilly towards each other? That is a real problem. If the nation has some kind of moral grounding, at least some exposure to a religious text like the Bible, you're off to a good start. The people have an idea of what's right and what's wrong. If you start totally secular, it's more difficult. That's why the founders liked religion. It nudged people in the right direction. Of course, that may sound negative to some of us, that religion would be used as crowd control. I asked Greg about that uneasiness.
0: You know, the fundamental one of the fundamental questions of political philosophy down through the ages is why obey? Um, why why should people obey? And through most of history, the answer has been because there's an iron fist that's going to crush you if you don't obey. But they were going to create a society that wasn't that didn't have an iron fist, that didn't have a king, or didn't have a czar. And that is our Russia.
1: Totally got a plan for where this is going. Okay, sorry. Back to Greg.
0: Uh, It was going to be a free society. So how do you make people behave then, if that's the case? And their answer was morality, that you had to have a moral society uh, if you're going to have a free society. And that's why, by the way, uh, in so many cases, most prominently in George Washington's farewell address, he talks over and over again about about religion and morality, religion and morality. That was Those two were paired together um, by the founders so many times because they saw the two as as inextricably mixed. You couldn't have morality without religion. Um, and so a lot of the quotes that they do concerning that are used by the Christian America people to say, see, they were Christians, but they don't say Christianity and, and, and morality. They say religion and morality. And when you get into what they wrote about, Uh, They talked about a number of different religions, ancient religions, pagan religions, religions of their day. Uh, You know, John Adams said that he didn't see, he had never seen better theology than in the Hindu Shastra. Uh, And so the idea was you need good citizens. You need people who will be obedient and so forth without uh, threat of uh, the Iron Fist. So you need morality, and the purpose of religion is to create that morality.
1: Religion was important to the Founding Fathers, just not one particular religion. Because, just like I needed those crazy people in The Sims to behave so they didn't destroy my civilization, the founders of the country needed a way to encourage morality. Now, the Soviet Union chose paranoia and an iron fist. Pre-revolutionary Russia did it with the Russian Orthodox Church, and sometimes an iron fist. The American founders wanted to form a free society, but also not a chaotic one. Their support of a non-specified religion could do that. How much and how little is the tightrope we walk? Which brings us to the separation of church and state. Whew. This one chafes folks on both sides. We often hear about the separation of church and state being like a wall between us and them, and that concept being a fundamental part of the United States. The trouble is, it's not actually in the Constitution. The phrase separation of church and state comes from a letter that was written by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association on January 1st, 1802 that phrase is in a letter not in the constitution now you'll hear that phrase used to shut religion out of the public square along with the first
0: amendment first of all jefferson had nothing to do with writing the first amendment he was in europe when it was written but secondly uh, his what he was what he meant to say there what he was arguing is not that the state couldn't have any influence from government but that the the government would have no influence on religion.
1: A seemingly small but important distinction. We spend a lot of time worrying about whether or not religion is encroaching on the government. But what about the other way around? What protects religion from the government? That concept was reinforced in the Supreme Court's decision in Emerson v. Board of Education in 1947. Supreme Court Justice Black wrote, and I'm quoting from Cornell's law school website, that the government cannot participate in the affairs of a religious group, set up a church, aid or prefer one religion over another, or aid or prefer religion over non-religion. And that wall of separation, according to Justice Black, was to protect the church from the government.
0: But regarding the founding documents, for example, I argue that Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, as I call it, artfully. He wrote the Declaration artfully to appeal both to rationalists on one side and the more conventionally religious people on the other. Since he occupied this middle ground between deism and Christianity, uh, he was in a perfect position to do this and to mobilize maximum support for the revolutionary cause. Why? Because every group, every religi- religious group, can read their own content into it. That's what still happens today. The rank secularists say, "See, nature's God, um, nature and nature's God." It was all uh, just natural religion, and the Christians say, "No, it's it's God, the Creator, and and so on and so forth." And so each side reads their own religion into it, and I think that Jefferson wrote that intentionally that way in order to get maximum support for the Declaration, to get everybody on board, all of the various religions. If it had been a Christian document, then you alienate those who aren't Christians. If it's not a Christian document, it's a secular document, you alienate the Christians. And they wanted maximum support from everybody.
1: I know that may seem like splitting hairs, but think about it. It may actually benefit the United States that our founders were somewhere between deism and Christianity instead of being fully committed to one side of that spectrum. Their inability to commit to one theology means that they didn't have a
0: strong horse
1: in the freedom of religion race.
0: You could argue that it that religion is used to oppress people by the government if the government has a particular religion that has particular doctrines or, or demands on you. But that was the whole point of theistic rationalism, is that there aren't any fundamental demands on you other than that you should be a good person." That's terrible
1: theology, but it did mean that founders like Franklin, Hamilton, Jefferson, Adams, those guys, didn't have a religion to impose upon the country. They had basically a moral framework that allowed all religions to coexist. Whereas if they'd picked one particular religion or denomination, there would have been pretty serious conflict. Instead, there is the possibility for unity in diversity. Though the Bible is clear that there is only one way to God, their belief that there were multiple may have opened the door to all religions being welcome in this country. We, as a nation, may be benefiting from their poor theology. So, Ron, our caller from earlier, if you're listening, I know how hard it is to see this. While you badly want the US to be a Christian nation, we as citizens, we as a church, have a chance to thrive here. In pre-revolutionary Russia, Orthodox Christianity was the official religion. And what did that bring? It forced people to squeeze their pagan beliefs into Christianity. What four store politically advanced religion brings is weak sauce belief. It inspires fakes, posers like Napoleon in Catholic France or Muslim Egypt. For our non Christian listeners, you might be asking, what do we hope to gain by calling this a Christian nation? Greg put it really well. He covers this when he's
0: invited to speak. Human nature leads us to want to believe that our nation is specially blessed by God. There's something in human nature. Think about the great civilizations. Think about the Romans. Uh, They believed that their nation was specially blessed by the gods. In fact, they cut out the middleman and made their emperor God himself, right? And the Japanese, when they bombed Pearl Harbor, did it for their god emperor. you have all these ancient civilizations many of them um both in the east and in the west uh that that claimed that the gods or god uh, especially blessed them uh and so it's just that to me there's something in human nature that causes people especially in great civilizations as i think america is the greatest of all time um that something in our nature that wants us to believe that that there's a being out there that has specially blessed us. Um, secondly, it's easier to call people back to a heritage than to call them to something new and radical. It's easier to say, we used to be like this and we've lost it, we need to go back than it is to call people to Christianity, with real Christianity, which is radical. Which, is, which demands a lot of changes in them. It demands, uh, makes a lot of uh, strong uh, demands of them and commands of them. Uh, it's easier to just sort of uh, have something that, that they're more comfortable with.
1: Christianity is very different from what that core group of eight founders said. It is radical. It says that morality cannot save us that only faith in Jesus can. Christian Americans insist that this country is defined by this religion, but there is a dark consequence of that argument. If the United States acts in a way that is unbecoming or even evil, those actions reflect back on Christianity. By calling it a Christian nation, we stand to gain a sense of heritage, but we stand to lose a lot more. If a quote-unquote Christian government behaves badly, who do you think will get persecuted? If a quote-unquote Christian nation aggressively expands its empire on the backs of brown-skinned people, I'm looking at you, America. Who is blamed? The Christians. If an economic model is tied to Christianity, who gets blamed when there are flaws in that model? You guessed it. More on these consequences in the coming weeks. At the heart of the Christian America movement is a fear that the world is going crazy. If we hold on to a mythology of Christian Americanness, then we don't have to address the realities of the world. If you want to see a dramatic change in our country, in our world, then hold on to something way more powerful than patriotism. Share the gospel. Don't just... Say that this is a Christian nation. Go out there and share what you believe. If you don't know Jesus, take that leap. Because Jesus saves. Heritage does not. Special thanks to Dr. Greg Fraser. His books are The Religious Beliefs of America's Founders and God Against the Revolution, The Loyalist Clergy's Case Against the American Revolution. You can read his list of dangers involved with the Christian America argument on our website at trucepodcast.com. If you want to hear our whole discussion without all the cuts and games and madness, you can listen to the whole thing on the Truce Podcast Patreon page. Patreon is a service that allows you to give a little bit each month to help with this show. It also allows you to hear special content not available anywhere else. There are links to our Patreon page at trucepodcast.com. God willing, I'll be heading to the Podcast Movement Conference in August, but that means flights, tickets, and a hotel. If you'd like to sponsor some of that, drop me an email at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. My challenge to you this episode is to leave a comment on your podcasting app. Give us five stars. It helps people find the show. Special thanks to the pairs who played our game at the beginning of the show. That's Kat and Ignacio from the Pencils and Lipstick podcast and Troy and Joel from Revived Thoughts. Thanks also to Julie Sanford from the Grace Over 40 podcast who played our smooth jazz DJ. Thanks for listening. God willing, we'll be back in two weeks with more. I'm Chris Sterren, and this is Truce. One more thing before we go. My friend Roy Browning, who is the webmaster for Truce and has helped me out a lot, has created some helpful videos about being a dad. I'm sure a lot of dads need encouragement during the coronavirus. You can find these short videos at roybrowning.me YouTube or in the show notes for this episode. That's roybrowning.me YouTube. Thanks.